welcome to the Story Edge. Another awesome episode talking to some awesome professionals. You know, I'm lucky because I, I, I chatting now with marketing people, marketing experts, and I love the topic of marketing for anybody who knows me. My name is Marlon August. I'm your host. And I'm here with Stephen Westwood, man, Mr. Magic Marketing himself. Really awesome, awesome guy. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, Marlon. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's such a pleasure. And, uh, you know, we're going to just share, you know, this is take two um, of, <laughs> of this episode, only because, you know, I had such a horrible background before. Um, and I really enjoyed our last conversation, which probably most people will never see. And um, I'm just excited to, to connect with you again and, and chat and pick your brain. It's going to be freaking awesome. Guys, if you want to know about marketing, if you want to know about um, copywriting, especially, you know, Stephen's your guy. Welcome, Stephen. How are you doing today? Thank you, Marlon. I am doing fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm really excited because the last time we did this, which, as you've already pointed out, not many people are going to see, uh, it was enjoyable. And I'm looking forward to doing it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. So, so. I want to jump immediately into, into your background because, you know, one thing that is really fascinating to me is we kind of think of life or we program to think of life in a very, in very linear terms, you know, I'm going to do this and do this and have this and have that, but life doesn't do that. And we, we, we learn that along the way. So 10 years ago, what were you doing? We're now 2021, we're talking 2011. What were you up to? So 10 years ago, I, I was 24. I had decided that I was fed up of my life and the trajectory it was going in. So I went back into education. Um, I didn't intend to study marketing. I want to point that out now. Yeah, I was going to do. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did a level three qualification in travel and tourism with the intention of getting a job working in tourism. Um, I mean, that's a, that is already a, an, an astonishing like about turn, right? I mean, you could have never seen that in your future. So why travel and tourism at that stage in your life? So I'd always worked in hospitality, customer service sort of roles and I'm a people person. I like helping people. I like um, being of service. And it's just part of the makeup of my personality. And at that stage, it was where I excelled. It's what I did best. Um, so it just made sense to me to go into tourism, plus the fact that with tourism and the opportunities within tourism meant I could travel more, um, potentially. And that's kind of what drew me in. Did, did, um, did, you, did you manage to do much of that? I mean, I know studying it doesn't necessarily get you out the country but, or out of your immediate location, but did you manage to get around in, 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 in that space after studies at all? Yeah, so while I was studying travel and tourism, uh, part of the course was 
trips and uh, not just trips within the UK, but trips abroad as well. Um, one of those trips, which was for technically a different course, but through the same provider, uh, took me to Tenerife where I ended up working for six months for a company in Tenerife, doing their marketing and doing their, uh, especially like their copywriting and coming up with uh, marketing materials and a marketing strategy, um, which I believe they still use today. So that's good. And mm. yeah, so there was a lot of scope, but within the course itself, I had made the decision because I'm going to be so much older than anybody else doing the course that I need to make the most of the opportunity of being at college. Now, bear in mind here in the UK, college is a step below university. So when um, we first started, we had to vote for a class rep. I was voted class rep. I then got voted department rep, which led me to working with the student union quite a lot. Um, So... I then started to develop a a passion for education, I suppose you could call it. Um, And during that that time, there was elections coming up. So I went for the vice president for student matters role. Again, I also want to point out that there was a vice president for marketing role, but I didn't go for that one. I went for the vice president for student matters role. Um, Well, th- th- this was leaning more to your people type side of 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 who you were, of who you know you are, versus you know something that wasn't really appealing to your to to who you were at that moment in time, right? Exactly, and it's quite funny that you mentioned that because I had a really really good discussion yesterday with somebody about appealing to your values and how you actually choose a career you choose a passion centered around your values well as i uh just, so just, just before you, you you jump onto that this is really important not just from a perspective of well not just from a professional point of view obviously for for, for everything in life when you understand your strengths and you understand what's innate then it's not a matter of um, what do I do? It's a matter of what, in terms of who I am, does, it, does this fit in with me? You know, it's not like, where do I go in order to seek out things? It's, you know, what will work best with me that I can actually really help wherever I want to go and put in. And I think you, 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 you're saying that you were one of the older people in that space, but a lot of people, even in their late 50s, 60s, don't know really what, who they are and, 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 and what really sits well with them in terms of their, 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 their inner, I don't know, like how best to describe this. I mean, you said the word values, and depending on who you ask, it's like got a different definition. But um, I just want to ask you, like, how did you uncover that you like to be around people? Okay, so I've had this life motto. Um, it's kind of been instilled in me from a young age. And it comes, it stems from my mom. And that is, if you're not happy, do something about it. Because that's all that matters in the end is whether you're happy. 
not in a selfish way, but down to its fundamental core, life's too short to not experience joy and to not want to experience joy. Um, so I, like I said, discovered that I had this natural talent for helping people and being around people, but I enjoyed it. And that's the key here. It was, it resonated with my values and it still does to this day. Um, it's knowing that I'm making a difference. It doesn't have to be me saving somebody's life. I'm not looking to be a hero. But even like the smallest of actions can make a difference in somebody's day, in somebody's life. And that that's kind of the thought process that got me to deciding I wanted to work in tourism. Um, mm. Mm. I hadn't fully developed an idea as to where in tourism I wanted to work at the stage of applying and starting the course. I just knew that tourism involved people and places and I wanted to go places and be around people. And it literally falls down to being that simple. Yeah. And, and it's usually the best answers really are, you know, it's, it's just, you just got to kind of sit that moment with yourself and dive in and say, okay, this is what I like. And then you go, you go and you try. And so, so, so you, you then when what is it? Vice president of people matters. Is that what student matters. Yeah. Student vice matters. president of student matters. Yeah. Um, so I went for that role. I got voted in on something stupid, like 120 votes out of a cohort, so out of a student population of 20,000. Um, <laughs> so I didn't even like get 1% of the votes, <laughs> like, well, 1% of the population vote, but I still got the role. Yeah. Um, but wait, what? so obviously there weren't many people voting, but the question is, where, in terms of, was there much interest in these posts from, from the student body? A lot of the students didn't understand what the student union was. Those that did come to the student union just thought it was for an NUS card, a National Union of Students card, so they can get discounts. <laughs> they didn't realize that they actually had a function within the college. Well, um, isn't, isn't, doesn't that also lend to like really brands and marketing? Because it, unless you got a benefit, really, it's like, I'll sit here and go through your boring meetings if there's a benefit to me and I'm, I want the discounts, discount, 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 you know? So it's yeah. so funny. <laughs> well, as a student, that is what you want. You want discounts as a student. You know 100%. that you're not working full time. So if you can get any kind of discount, you're going to go for it, aren't you? You know, <laughs> exactly. you know I did. I definitely made the most of my discounts. I think I've still got my NUS card, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so as I got involved with the student union, I started to develop marketing materials. I started helping doing the strategic uh, marketing side of things. Um, and just as a quick caveat, on top of this, as part of my course, uh, we wanted to work with more and more businesses. We wanted more practical experience. Um, just because it's something that we could not only put on our CV, but it would help us, you know, get to that next level for when we finish our course. So anyway, over the course of the year that I was vice president for Student Matters, 
we started really raising the profile of the student union. We started really getting the students of the college to understand the role the student union plays and that we're not just there to give you discounts. We're actually there to help you resolve any issues, solve any problems, um, make any necessary changes to your courses. So I, again, was quite a good example of that because we did get more opportunities. So we started working with local businesses. And again, it fell down to marketing with these local businesses. It wasn't just a case of, um, oh, come and do work experience for us. They, they wanted more people through the doors. And how do you get more people through the doors? Through marketing. Exactly. Through marketing the correct way to yeah. the right people. That's what I want to add there. Um, so over the course of that year, I really developed a pool of businesses that I worked with. And not only that, but I started doing more work for the college because they'd seen some of my marketing campaigns and marketing materials. Um, so they brought me on to help with that. And when I stepped down, I only did one year in turn. You can do two years, but I only wanted to do the one. When I stepped down, um, the next person that came in got just under 3,000 votes. Oh, so there's more interest. So we really, yeah, so we would really did our job. We'd really got more and more people involved with the student union and understanding what the student union is. So we were really happy with that. In terms of the businesses from my course, um, one of them took me on as a freelancer. And then another one took me on as a freelancer at the, uh, just a couple of weeks later. Uh, but one of the companies that we worked with was called the Dudley Canal Trust. And the Dudley Canal Trust is on the back of um, the Black Country Living Museum. So it's all about the history of the city. And both of them, like it goes right back through the industrial age and the Victorian times and everything, but both of them are separate businesses. One of them is a charity, the other one's a business, but... Um, they didn't really join forces. So the people that were visiting the Dudley Canal Trust were only visiting the Dudley Canal Trust and the people visiting the Black Country Living Museum were only visiting the Black Country Living Museum. Um, so I managed to get them to partner up and do joint tickets, which then helped to expose both of them to a wider audience for both businesses. Um, they have done since then done joint events. I wasn't part of that, but they have done joint events. They've done quite a lot of um, collaborating together, but it all started because I had the idea of getting them to do joint tickets. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So there's, there's, there's a lot of, of, of awesome nuggets you just shared because especially I know a lot of students, they, what ends up happening is they end up out of college or university um, or tertiary studies without a job. They go out looking for a job. Um, whereas with what you did, while you probably were looking for a job, the difference is you, you got that experience in the, in, while you were still a student, and then you did such a good job during that time that they, they kept you on or spoke about you. And your work spoke for itself. 
which means more people start to, started to find out about it. And then you, you, you start earning money while you learn. And that is a very important lesson that I think every student really needs to take on board because they end up thinking that once I get whatever diploma or degree I'm going for, then that is it. When actually that's just the beginning of you trying to figure it out. And then you get to find out, oh, but you don't have any practical experience. And, and that is a major deterrent with any employer. So, I mean, do you have any advice, especially talking about your journey and how you went about it, especially for the young people that are looking for something that they really maybe even make passionate about it? Because not necessarily everybody who studies something is passionate about it. How can they actually progress into a real work life like soon afterwards? So my experience with education, I have got a Master of Research in Social Sciences that focuses on education and psychology, as well as I am a qualified teacher, yeah. as, as, well as, um, as well as being a qualified teacher. In my experience, it's not about getting the knowledge, it's about applying the knowledge. And that's what employers want to see is that you can actually apply the knowledge. Um, there's no how do I put this there's no time like the present whether you're just at the start mm -hmm. of your course or whether you're towards the end of your course it doesn't matter start now and start applying that knowledge that you're gaining there are different ways to do it you can intern you can volunteer you you don't necessarily need to just go into the field that you're studying you can still gain the same experience if you just think a little bit wider and outside the box. 100%. I love what you just said. Um, it reminds me of a story of, I'm not going to mention names. And, and it, it's somebody close to me. We had a discussion. They were in school, still are. And the, the conversation was, I've got all these ideas. I'm, you know, I've, I've created these things. But you know, I'm still at school and the thing is I need money. So I was like, okay, so just take all those three things that you just put on the table and put them together. What does that look like? Well, you need to get clients, but your, your time is really going to be quite heavily entrenched in studying. So time is a, is, a, is a resource that you don't quite have a lot of. What your best bet is to go is to use that time wisely. So Spend that time researching your potential collaborators. So in this space, it was more in the space of like fashion. Um, and it's get in touch with all the fashion houses, get in touch with all the boutiques, get in touch with all those people and tell them you can make things for them. And maybe they don't want your stuff. You know, maybe they don't, but they at least can see practically what you can do. And then you say, okay, you know that over there, I can make that. Do your clients buy that? Because then that I can make a lot of. And you know what? You don't even have to pay me for my time. I'm happy to share, split the profits with you. You sell it. I will make it. You make, you give me a percentage of the money. The funny thing is just a simple thing like that gets them started, puts money in their pocket, gets them the experience, gets them a recommendation letter. And still, you know, you can still focus 
on your studies. I think yeah. I love what you said. Think a little bit outside the box. Do not be so linear about it. And and so so beautiful stuff. Exactly. And this is bringing out the passion and the education side out of me now. And that, that is a problem that a lot of students face. They become so focused on their studies. They become so focused on, right, I need to get this qualification, then I can do the next thing, then I can do the next thing. And like I said, it's not linear. You don't have to. You can do a lot of things in one go. Now, again, using myself as the prime example, I worked as a freelancer while I was a student. I was a full-time student. I was freelancing and I always had a part-time job. Wow. Not because not not because of um, the money from freelancing wasn't good, because it was. But at the time in my head, I was like, right, if my pool of freelance work dries up, I need a backup. So I always worked part time just to make sure that I could survive, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, but again, through working part time, that exposed me to different experiences that I could then pull into the person I am now, the business that I have now. Mm. Um, so when I finished that course at college, for example, I went to go and work at Birmingham Airport. Uh, I was a passenger service assistant. So I would be the person checking you in and taking you to the boarding gate and letting you onto the plane. I, I loved it. First of all, it was a fantastic experience. The atmosphere and everything was just like, it, it's just uh, when people are going on holiday, they, they, they're happy. They're a bit confused, but they're happy. Um, and what I liked about that job was that they quickly picked up on my strengths. So they used to place me in positions where I would utilize my strengths. So my strengths was dealing with people, handling complaints, solving problems, and just being um, an additional resource for my team. So whenever there were flights cancelled or whenever there were um, any issues that a passenger had, I would be the one to resolve them so it would make it easy for my team to continue doing what they needed to do. Um, Be before you carry on, like, so in teams especially, People struggle, um, I mean, whoever was your supervisor, whoever was up above you, you said notice your strengths. And it might seem silly or, or obvious, but how does one actually pick up on someone's strengths um, if you're not really looking for them because you've been hired for a role? You know, you, you've got a role to play. And if you're not playing that role correctly, you are not, you know, you're perceived to be, you know, not good at your job. But perhaps it's not fitted to you. So if, if we actually see where you would thrive, what if we had to position you differently? And, and I think a lot of businesses are stuck in that space. So, you know, I have someone that's absolutely useless instead of trying to find a way or a space that they can actually play better in within the organization. Exactly. So no, I think that it's correct. Yes, that person might be good on paper. There's a reason why they were offered the job in the first place. 
but ultimately they may not be right for the exact requirements for that role. So like I said, what happens is that person then gets a reputation for being useless. They get a reputation for being no good. And the atmosphere can get pretty toxic pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, However, if a business wants to survive, especially with how things are changing culturally across the world, they have to be prepared to find people's strengths and use the strengths to build the, the company up. Uh, just as a quick example, somebody who I worked with at the airport was extremely introverted. Um, she loved the job. It was her passion, her dream, but because of her how shy and introverted she was, um, she wasn't really a people person, so she would sit there at the desk checking somebody in. She wouldn't do the announcements. She just wasn't comfortable. So instead of like saying, come on, come on, pick it up, pick it up, you know, trying to get her, trying to force her to perform all of the duties we had to perform. What they did was they tried her on one of the passenger lounges, working the front desk there. And Mm. she thrived. She still works there now. We were only there for a six month contract and she still works there today. Um, It's amazing. So, Yeah. I I, I love that. I love that because that's like, I mean, kudos to the people that that were managing you then because that takes a lot of, a lot of awareness and a sense of flexibility because people get so stuck. I don't know what the hiring and firing process is like in the UK, but in South Africa, it's super sticky. You you can't, um, well, like as entrepreneurs, we love the contracts you know, the, the short-term contract, because then letting you go is not a mission. But when you are hired, it's like we are stuck together. You know, um, I, have to, I have to give you three warnings and, and then I can fire you. But those three warnings, it can't be the same. You can, you can get like a new, you need three warnings on a new thing. I can't yeah. put my second warning on a brand, on the whole, on something new. Right, so you you literally be sitting. That's a warning. That's a warning, and that as well as a warning one. And then if you don't commit it in the next three months, um, then you will get a whole. We start back at one again. So you know the, the the firing process is not really tilted towards the the employer, and I understand why. I'm just saying, like, not like it is in the United States, where you just literally get a, a pink slip and you know, yeah, it's game over. Uh, <laughs> but, here in the UK. Here in the I'm sorry. Here in the UK, it's exactly the same as what you just described. It's a three warning okay. system, and then you let go um, to protect the employees. But there is a three month probationary period. Now, I only know of one person who was let go before the end of a three month probationary period. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of others, but that's just the one I can think of. Mm-hmm. And usually what happens is an, a good employer will work with the people that they've hired to try and find where best to put them, where's best suited for them and how that can build the team. They'll have that long um, goal in mind. Uh, but yeah, ultimately um, with my experience at the airport, I absolutely loved it. I thrived in that environment. 
However, being at the airport was also not where I wanted to be. I'd already, from when I started my course to working at the airport, I'd actually changed my goals, my ambitions. What changed them? The exposure to education, the exposure to different businesses, the exposure to different people, all of that influenced where I actually wanted to be. And I did think, well, if if life is too short, why shouldn't I shoot, you know, for the stars kind of thing? Um, so I was like, right, I'm going to get back into my education. I'm going to continue and get my degree. And then through that experience is where I got the job in Tenerife. I worked with the Saudi Arabian Tourist Board uh, on their marketing campaigns. Um, I managed to get a job, not a job, sorry, a, free, a client, um, working with uh, other smaller businesses as well um, and large businesses, especially in the heritage and culture sector. Uh, sector. Um, and it was just great experience again outside of my course my course was fantastic by the way I can't knock my course but outside of that um, I also put together events and <laughs> I can remember this one event just very quickly a quick anecdote so as part of my course we had to put together a tourist attraction event Okay. So we're all given um, different destinations and we all had to do a, um, a showcase about that destination within the event. And people would come in and they'd go around and learn as much as they can about the event. And we'd be rated and that would end up being with our grades. <clears throat> so I got Cardiff as my event. Now I'd been to Cardiff several times by this point and I like the city. I love the city. And I thought, do you know what would be good is if I could get my hands on some Cardiff branded materials. That's all I thought. Just a few branded materials just to decorate my table with. Mm. So I contacted the um, uh, the tourism board of Cardiff. And I said, like, I'm a student. We're putting together an event. It'd be great if you could send me something to... Um, use at the event just so I can advertise Cardiff. And what they sent me was this gigantic box. And when I say gigantic, I mean, it was huge. And it was about this high off the floor, um, full of materials that they'd used the previous year that they hadn't used up. Mm. Um, so I... I was like, okay, well, this is cool. So I used all of those materials and stuff, and my stand looked like, you know, it definitely stood out. <laughs> and I want to stop there for a second. So um, a lot of businesses, especially, do stands, exhibitions. Okay, now everything is like all weird, but it's not going to stop the, the, the exhibition space. It's just going to be, you know, some the ideas here that I'm, that I'm about to like try and get into, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be virtually, it could be uh, physically, it doesn't matter. How important is it for your stand to stand out? And what type of ideas were you thinking about when you were putting up your stand? Can people like really take away 
Because, I mean, you go to exhibitions and most people's stands look exactly the same. You know, so, so I don't know if you have any tips or ideas there. Okay, so first of all, the location of your stand is important. Because the way the traffic will move through the exhibit, they will get to a certain point and then they'll turn around. They won't, people naturally are lazy. We don't want to have to walk all that way. Um, <clears throat> at the same time, you don't want to be the one at the very front because people will walk past you because they're looking for something specific at the same time. Right. So what you want is you want it to be just off a corner. You don't want a corner. You want off a corner. But you want it to be facing the way the traffic's coming. The next thing that you do is don't overstimulate. So try not to. But try and use like some, you can use some lights to try and attract people. Think of the way your display looks. Try and do blocks of color as well because it's just more appealing to the eye. Um and make sure that with the your when you're at an exhibit that you are always present at the stand. Yeah, that is what will attract people in, and obviously, then for yourself, be friendly, be presentable, be polite. Um, make sure that you are engaging with anybody, even if it's a case of people are walking past. Just say hello because that will draw people in. Um, one thing that I always say is never ask somebody who's just looking if you can help them because they're always going to say no. They're always going to say they're just browsing. If they're looking at something specific, start giving them information on that specific thing because then they're going to engage in a conversation with you and before you know it. Yeah. So they're my, they're my tips for when you're at an exhibit and, you're, and you've got to stand. I love those. I love those because I was just imagining myself possibly browsing a stand and then someone immediately sparks up a conversation just based on what I was looking at. It's so relevant and it's, it's really like, even if I have zero interest, it just caught my eye. I'm that type of person that would, I mean, it's rude to just walk away, right? <laughs> so, 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 so you're going to like stop and you're going to turn and continue listening. And that gives you the opportunity. Whereas if you kind of ask them that question, they, they got an out um, and, and, they, and they immediately duck. So I love those, I love those suggestions. Um, one other thing I'd love to add to that is like, make sure you grab people's email addresses. If, you, if, you, if you've got, you wanna grab their content. Because um, a lot of people, they actually, they, they don't try that. They don't just try and grab something from people so that they can continue to communicate with them. So, so I love that though, Stephen, awesome stuff. So you decide now, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna have the stand and, and celebrate Cardiff. Um, what happens then? So basically I followed the advice that I've just given you. And everybody was coming directly to my stand. Everybody was talking to me about Cardiff. Um, it actually became so powerful that the student union put a trip to Cardiff on <laughs> for the students. How cool is that? That's um, so cool. And then 
with those materials, because obviously they weren't my materials. I didn't want to take, like, what am I going to do with a big box full of Cardiff stuff, you know? So I left it with the college and they're still using those materials today to the point where the students are fighting over getting Cardiff for the event. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so I've still left that legacy there. Um... <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome stuff. Yeah. So, so you, you, at this stage, you're obviously honing in on your marketing skills. Um, without really studying that space much, but you're in a lot of practice, and and uh, but you you do you do something else. You go into teaching. Yeah. So when I finished my degree and I did my masters, I was like, oh, I'm kind of done with getting an education. Time for me to be a grown up now and get a Adult. serious job. Yeah. So I was like, okay. I'm going to go into teaching. And I went into secondary school teaching geography. I got my qualification to teach geography. I then, re, not retrained, uh, there's a word for it, upskilled to teach physics and business as well. Um, so I did that for a, a couple of years. Now, I also want to point out, and the, I always point this out, is that I was still freelancing on the side. Yeah. Uh, but whilst teaching, I found that as the, uh, like this, especially the second to third year went on, my energy levels were really getting drained. I was feeling really lethargic. I'd come home and my partner would be like, oh, should we go out for food? And I'm like, no. I didn't have the energy to go out and live my life. So, um, so there's, there's something here, and I know a lot of students struggle with this because they are studying and their sole focus is studying and they need money and they don't know how to do that whole thing. But, um, you know, they, I see it often. Um, yeah, I'm part of various... Um, groups on on WhatsApp where we have people that um, that they, they they we have like a commitment every single week to join together and and even parents speaking speaking about their children that are maybe in in primary school or something or high school or giving excuses saying ex Johnny's got lots of studies to do and I find it like and I get the whole idea around focus. But you the whole time have, were, were practicing something while you had a full-time job. And in many cases, three jobs, you know, um, at the student union, you're studying, and then you still got the, 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 the freelancing gig, you know, yeah. popping on. That obviously built a high level of work ethic inside you. Do you feel like, that students today have that same sort of work ethic? Do you see people cultivating that? Or, or where do you see like, in terms of community and you know the world at large, where do you see that? I mean, do we have that culture of like really grafting hard to, to, to get somewhere, even if we don't necessarily know where that leads? I'm gonna say that I'm witnessing more of the capacity to do that. Um, but in regard to the students here in the UK anyway, there is um, two types, 
three types of students. So you've got those that are very academic and very into the, focused on their studies. You've got those who are academically average, but they then focus on, you know, the extracurricular activities, music, sports, um, teams, uh, team building, stuff like that. And then you've got the other scale, uh, which is the not interested in academics, not really sure of what they are interested in. They just want to go home and sleep. Um, now, again, this is just generalizing. I'm not saying this is exactly what it's like, but it depends sure. on the area that somebody lives in in the UK, depends on the percentage of which students you get. Um, so I worked a lot in areas where there was a high proportion of student type three. Um, and it wasn't that they were lazy. It wasn't that they didn't care. They just didn't feel empowered. They didn't feel motivated. They didn't have that support system at home. They had quite a lot of um, issues going on outside of school, whether it be through poverty, whether it be through, um, uh, you know, whatever issues that they were facing. So what I found with... The, that bracket of students was I could relate to them because when I was in school, I hated school. I hated it with a passion. Like you and me both. Uh, yeah. I, I would have an excuse to not be there. I used to go home. No, I used to go out of school for lunch and then just go home and then not come back. Um, <laughs> or I just not turn up <laughs> if I could help yeah. it. So yeah. I hated yeah. school. It just wasn't for me. So I related to this third group. So I specifically chose a school where there was a higher proportion of these students. And getting to know them, you realize that actually there's quite a lot that motivates them. So I started using that knowledge within my lessons to get them motivated within my lessons, which then had this domino effect on other lessons. Um, and other subjects with other teachers. So it, it was just one of those places where, yes, work hard, but I have my life philosophy, and my life philosophy is if you're not happy, do something about it. Mm. Now, it wasn't the teaching side of things. I loved the teaching side of things. It was the school politics that made me want to leave that really dragged me down. I did, um, I have told you previously about um, me sitting in the staff room overhearing a conversation where teachers were actively bragging about neglecting their families so they could work. They were actively bragging about the fact that they were working till 10, 11 o'clock at night and then starting again at six. And I'm like, but that, that, that isn't what life should be. Like, I know that this is supposed to be a vocation. It's supposed to be a life passion. But there's still more to life. Mm. I haven't gone through all the experiences that I've gone through and not come out, uh, come out the other side without learning something. And to me, you can do multiple things. You can do all of the things. Obviously, if you're going to try and do all of the things, block your time so you've got the time to do all of the things. But have a go, try it. 
Now, the other conversation that I overheard in this staff room was when a teacher was bragging that her young children knew not to disturb her before 7pm when she was home. She'd leave work, pick them up, go home, and then, then they knew to not disturb her for hours while she worked. And mm. I'm like, I think that's wrong. Your priority should be your children, nurturing your children, spending time with your children. And that's what sort of got me thinking about the politics within, uh, within teaching and scope creep, which is something that I'm familiar with as a copywriter, um, where people exploit more and more of your time in order to benefit themselves without you receiving any benefit. Um, and I was like, do you, do you know what teaching is not for me? So not with so, how the system currently is. I mean, I mean, I think if that person, um, the lady you're just talking about, um, I think I'm assuming she's a lady, but I think you actually mentioned. So, so um, she goes and picks up the kids and she's bragging about the fact that, you know, don't bother me for hours. And I think certain people, there's also like this opposite compass, uh, like idea that just because you have kids, you actually love them. So, so I think this is going back to like knowing yourself, you know, you might have kids, but you don't necessarily um you're not the parent of the year um but you 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 heard this and and kind of saw your future and at this stage you're like whoa none of this fits into who i am this does not fit into my values this isn't this is not the life i want to be in and if i was imagining myself like this i wouldn't be happy period so yes eject and i think that that those are the those are the decisions that people struggle to make because this is your livelihood. Um, but so, so we will jump into like what happens next, because obviously you, this is where most of your income is coming from. If you, if you move, there's going to be a drastic downturn in financials. Yeah. What do you, what's so, your next decision? <laughs> so I um, sat there and I was talking to my partner about it. And I was like, look, I have to leave. I don't have the energy. I'm, you know, struggling. I'm really struggling. I need to have my notice and I don't think I can be a teacher. And my partner was like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I don't really know yet. And you're right. There is that, oh, you know, money needed to live. Can't really just like not do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was talking to my partner and I basically just outlined everything that I've ever done in my life. Uh, we were speaking for hours and hours because my partner was trying to help me gauge what it is that I actually wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. So when I told my partner the whole story, my partner was like, you know, that there is one thing there that you've mentioned that you still do today. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what do I do? <laughs> and my partner was like, you freelance copywriting? You're still doing it now? Like, you're still working with clients now? And I was like, do you know what? Actually, you're right. So I did have my notice in. I left and I went full time with my freelance. So like, was that immediately after this conversation? Or did you have to take some time to mull it over and, and uh, get the courage? I'd made the decision. 
So I handed my notice in, worked my notice period, and then I left and started this full time. Wow. So, so, you know, I know a lot of people, they struggle around, um, you know, I must get paid. And I think that that is, and I agree, you know, I also agree to this degree of it really depends on, on where you are as a business, as an individual, and within the success that you've managed to achieve. Because everything comes down to results. So I don't know from your perspective, what is it, what do you think about people doing things for free versus, especially like if you're new and you're kicking, you're starting. And I mean, at that stage, you've gotten some success. You've already um, built up resistance as a freelancer. So it's not like this deep hole, even though now you're going full in, it's a whole different ball game, but it's not like completely fresh to you. You've been doing this for years. What about those people that, especially now we're in the space of COVID, the, the, some people, they're like, you know, this internet thing seems to be booming. Maybe I can just, you know, slot over there and, and start to do more entrepreneurial stuff, or maybe I've been laid off. And now I have this opportunity to go full in on my dreams. How does free versus paid is really the question here in that space? Yeah. So obviously I'm seeing a lot of people asking the same question. How do I get clients? How do I get recommendations? How do I get reviews? How do I start my business? How do I develop a portfolio? And in an ideal world, I always say get paid for what you do. But that being said, think outside the box. Honestly, you need to develop a portfolio. Then write about your favorite fruit or write about people are not actually looking for, sorry, businesses within an industry are not always looking for something that's directly related. They're just looking for your writing style, um, especially if they're good at understanding how marketing works and what they do and what we do. Sorry. Um, mm. But I always say you should get paid. Now, I avoid certain platforms that I'm not going to name, but there are a lot of platforms out there that exploit freelancers. They exploit people who provide services to, uh, to businesses. Um, I'm not a fan of exploitation. I'm not a fan of taking advantage of someone. So I always feel like if it's something that you really want to do, there is somebody who will pay. Um, the, there is something that I actually discovered uh, yesterday. I had a conversation with somebody and they were telling me about this man who does public speaking. And he used to practice public speaking in front of his family. And he used to practice public speaking in front of his friends as well. And he'd invite them around. And it started off as like just a, a, a one-off here and there. And then he did another one and he handed the jar around and he said, okay, now if you think that what I've just discussed was worth money, put some money into the jar. And he was charging his friends and family to listen to him speak. And again, it's that idea of thinking outside the box. Mm. And that's how he got started. Now he is a very, very well-known man. Unfortunately, I can't for the life of me remember his name. 
I need to do some research and I'll get back to you on that one. But <laughs> no, I, I totally love the idea of, I mean, again, we, we, we're talking about thinking outside the box and the idea that you had of, of expressing yourself, it's for you, but you're expressing yourself through your portfolio differently so that people can see the quality of work. Now, that, that is, is really thinking out the box, really. I mean, you can get so many great examples out there um, of, I mean, if you're a website developer, you, you got like content that's already existing there, create an example of that, change the name, and boom, there's your, there's your, there's your sample. If you, um, if, if you are, a, a, I don't know, a videographer, create all these different things and, and just show them in your portfolio and then show you don't necessarily have to do this for free um, for clients. Um, you can you can actually send them those works and, and, and get paid for it. Um, I, I, I love that idea and that concept of, of, of really just of, of, of bringing of actually bringing a lot of I think it brings a lot more value to the work that you that you do from an internal point of view that you actually value your work. Um, and, and I love that that suggestion. I think definitely people need to take that one on. If you're not going to value your own work, how do you expect somebody else to value it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I like I was I was always in the space of uh, I was kind of sitting on the opposite end of this conversation. It was like, you know, do it for free. And um, I, I also quickly noticed that if you're going to give it for free, you got to be prepared that certain people won't care about it at all. So you 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 might as well you might as well charge and the opposite end is and the other side of that is like look at, at the end of the day if you're going to be doing something whether it's free discounted really low price whatever that spectrum is there's a there's a there's a opposite side to it there's a downside to that and you just got to be very much aware of what you're letting go of um, and be prepared to let that go because if, you, if you're not, when you do lose or that person doesn't give a damn about the work that you've actually brought in um, or they don't take it seriously, because even people pay and still not take it seriously. It's just, it's, it's just one of those things. But as long as you're prepared to, as long as you're very much aware of what you're losing and what you're gaining, um, then it's, it really makes it worth the energy that you're going to put into something. Yeah. Um... And that's what, again, falls down to my life philosophy. If it brings me joy, I'll do it. But if I'm not happy, I'll do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. So, so, so you, you spoke, it's funny, I was talking to someone um, earlier and they were mentioning how uh, don't, <laughs> don't do work with partners, but, but not as in like your, your life partner, but like, partners in general um i know a lot of people have that different opinion and you you mentioned working earlier in the in your life with um the the heritage sites and um the charity is that you got people to join venture um with obviously the goals are like i mean today we're in business and a lot of businesses kind of try to operate in these silos 
Um, and in the game of marketing and now trying to leverage money, leverage space time um, resources, I mean, do you think, do you see enough of it happening? Do you see that there's these opportunities for us to really start to think outside the box in terms of creating these different ways to leverage each other and work together? I do. I, I'm actually part of quite a lot of different collaborative projects myself right now. Um, but I am seeing it more and more. And okay, so if you look at the, uh, the market, for example, for your particular industry, now, some people will see their market share as a pie and they will have a slice of pie. They will see other businesses, their competitors with a larger share of that pie. And they seem to believe that the money within that market is finite, that it will run out, mm. that there is only so much money within that business. That is not true. I mean, if you just look at network marketing, for example, year on year, that's growing. Um not network marketing, sorry, affiliate marketing. Year on year, it's growing, and it's growing by about 10% a year. Network marketing, too. Network marketing, too. It is marketing growing, yeah. I just couldn't Massively. remember what it was for network marketing. No, 100%. Um, but the, uh, the idea of the slice of pie being your market share is no longer viable, not when you're looking at industries that 10 years ago were not even a million dollars a year are now a hundred million dollars a billion dollars a year there is more than enough money competition isn't about um trying to be better than your competitors it's trying to be better than what you are now because if you're better than what you are now and you're listening to your target audience you're going to develop your products and services that will help your target audience that will increase your profits so when before you go there, before, work, you, before you go there there's there's two parts there that i want to ask you around and the first part is you just gave and and, and i don't know if anyone sort of would sort of pick that up a lot of marketers a lot of researchers a lot of people um do a thing called competition research right now in the way that i've understood what you've just said is that you can do your competition to see whether the, you can collaborate with them not just see what marketing campaigns they run not just see how they do what they do it's to see how they do what they do so you can actually see if you can partner with them and i think that is a different take on what the competition is up to it really is so Keeping tabs on your comp competition is important. It's always important because it gives you a better understanding as to what your competition are doing and how they're attracting businesses compared to what you're doing, which is fine. You can stick to that. But if you really, really want to make a difference, then yes, there is opportunity for collaboration. Not only that, but if you do this research correctly, it will highlight that there are things that you can do that even your competition aren't doing yet. So you can then become the thought leader on that uh, particular thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But ultimately, we are a world, we're in a world where we can reach anybody. Like I'm sat here in Birmingham in the UK talking to Marlon, who's in South Africa. Like, 
why can't we get excited about the idea of working together? Um, And I'm witnessing it more and more. Even the bigger brands are starting to work together. Um, Even when the bigger brands are not working together, they're still helping each other. So I just want to point out quickly, like you had the whole Marks and Spencer and Aldi battle on Twitter. Um, I'm hardly on Twitter, so I didn't even pay attention. Yeah, so basically what happened was Aldi launched a product that's very, very similar in name and style to a product that M&S do. M&S was like, okay, well, that's not on. Let's do a legal battle. And like, let's enter illegal proceedings and whatnot. And instead of like staying quiet, Aldi started really playing with it. And they were putting like the product behind bars. And <laughs> they were also like tagging M&S. <laughs> so they, they started this social media feud. And what it did was raise the profile and raise the profits for both organizations. Yeah. Now, yeah. in theory, it, it shouldn't have done. It should have been like kept on the back burner. But the social media people behind Aldi and MS picked up on it and, and they started running with it. And it started working and it generated a lot of shares and likes and people became interested in this running joke that Aldi now have against M&S and it's better yeah, for both. I, I, I love that. And it, it brings to mind another question. Um, different, different brands obviously communicate differently. And sometimes, you know, these type of controversial or sideways or other otherwise way of communicating is, is not really easily looked upon. Because, I mean, here I think perception is very different. The, the social, like you say, so it's like the social media department and the legal department did not have a conversation. The social media department picked up on something and said, we're going we're gonna to work on this thing. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna really use this this airtime in a positive way. Um, and many brands, uh, many businesses, especially smaller businesses, I think, have this have this tone that they have to put out there that they feel is that is super strict. It's not as flexible as what you just said. And these are big brands that are communicating. Uh, so, so what, what sort of advice would you say around this, you know, that people just need to kind of loosen up when they're trying to communicate and be a little bit more flexible um, in their approach to communicate and, and grow their reach? You literally just hit the nail on the head, communicate. That is the biggest piece of advice that I would give. Just because you have a business A and business B and both of you are targeting sorry, both of you have similar products, doesn't necessarily mean that you're targeting the same audience. If A and B started communicating with each other, what would happen is you would then get exposed to new audiences. Both of you would be mutually beneficial um, to each other uh, and growing the audience. Not only that, but if you've really done your market research in terms of the... Uh, understanding who your target audience is, what will happen is the collaboration may lead to an opportunity where you raise your social profile. And what I mean by that is you could go into schools and educate 
or you can do community outreach or it doesn't have to be directly related to your product, but it will help raise the profile of both of your companies. Um, the other example that I can think of just now off the top of my head uh, would be if you were to do your market research and target your audience and they were to do their market research and target that audience, you may find that there's a gap in the market and that gap overlaps. Mm. So it's another opportunity for you to collaborate on a product directly related to your target audience. Um, and I can't remember the name of it, but that is one. And I can't for the life of me, it's on the tip of my tongue. I'll send it to you and you can put it into like the description or something. Awesome. No, <laughs> but there is an no. example of it where two companies, two competing companies have come together to deliver one product. Oh, wow. No, you know, like in, in the example that you made of um, doing charity or, or, or causes and, and using that as a, as a way to, to promote brands and uplift each other. I mean, I think Innocent Drinks does it so beautifully. Where they, where they, you know, they, you buy, you, you buy a, a a drink with a knitted hat, right? And and you, it just changes the look completely of the drink that people love already. That's already selling major amount. I think they're doing some like two hundred million bottles a day or something ridiculous like that. And and they have, and you buying, it's the hat that you're running after actually. And, yeah. and that is, is giving um, awareness to the elderly and, and the fact that they can, that they've got something to do now and, and it's funding that. And I think yeah. that that's, that's amazing. I was like, when, when you see those things happen and, and, and the way they communicate it is just beautiful. I think, like those are great examples where, 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 where what a lot of brands do is they kind of do it the opposite way. Like, oh, we're supporting the rhinos, so, you know, you must give us money. And it's just like the, the wrong way to think about things. Um, it really is. I mean, I would love to have been in that room when they developed that concept of the little hats on the bottles and stuff, because... I wonder if they realized how strong of a case study that would make. Dude, you know, it's a funny thing. I, I was doing my research. So I, I checked them out and I listened to the one of the directors talking about this initiative and he literally shot it down um, because somebody, it, was, it was somebody else, a friend of his idea. And they came to him and they're like, this is what we want to do. And he's like, it's not going to work. <laughs> and then they came back to him and it's like, it's not going to work. And then they, then they said, they're like, okay, just... Let's give it a try. And if it does work, if we sell this amount of things. And he was like, and he actually said that, he's like, you know what? I'm going to do this just to show you it's not going to work. And <laughs> it, it blew up, you know? So, yeah. I mean, sometimes sometimes the ideas we have, if, if and also I guess it needs to come from the right place, but the ideas we have, you don't know what will work unless you actually put it out there. And I think this is a big element of marketing, no matter how much research you do, no matter how much preparation there is, not saying you have to do the preparation, you know, get ready for it. But um, because when stuff doesn't work, you need to know what you're changing. But yeah. you never know. You can't get sort of hard and fast on your ideas and how that needs to be seen outside. 
by people. Exactly. It, so that's where your A-B testing comes in. You take a small sample and you test. Like, a bit like what you just said with Innocent, what they did. They tested it to see if it would work. And this is where marketing becomes a science because it's not about just the psychology and understanding people. It is about having the ability, the capacity to test whether it's viable, whether people will respond to it, take that data, analyze that data, and then tweak and make changes so it, it, it becomes more powerful. You can't, if I were to do a marketing campaign, there's a process to it. Marketing is a process. Yeah. So first of all, you set a goal. Then you do your research. Within the bracket of research comes your competitor analysis, comes your um, customer research, comes the, through the customer research, you then look at whether your product or services are fit for your particular target. And that can, that process is, is, well, that is a process within itself. Then from that, you understand where to target your customers. Do they listen to the radio while they commute? Are they on Facebook or Reddit? Are they on YouTube? Would they prefer to watch videos? Would they prefer to read a blog? Would they prefer to see a gigantic billboard or scroll through Instagram? When, when we say go to where your customers are, don't guess, actually find out. Then the next phase is you start to develop your messaging based on the information from that customer avatar, based on the information that you've got from your research. Now, your messaging is going to change depending on those, um, those variables that I've just said. Where does your customer hang out? What type of content do they consume? Um, what do they respond to? Then you test it out. You try it. So I, I got a, I got a great hack just in that space right there because like because some people, especially some established businesses that think they know what their customer wants, but they never really went through that process of diving deep as deep as you were talking about now. They just, they've got a customer base, of course, they're doing hundreds of millions and they, they, they growing business. They, 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 they honed in their, their, their offering and people are buying, but their marketing is a mess. So um, in that space, whether you have the money or not, it just really depends on where you are, but you could have these various ideas that you have, these content pieces, and then you send them out um, and, and put some money behind it, like a small amount of money, doesn't matter. And you see what the response is. If you're getting tons of comments, if you're getting link clicks, obviously you're gonna do, you have to do it with a bit of more of an intention. You can't just kind of spray and play and pray for it. You gotta literally, you can just put this out in these, in these different spaces, LinkedIn, like you mentioned, are they on Reddit? Are they on, um, you obviously pick, the different portals, Facebook, and then you say, okay, generally, because we have a client base in this case, um, this is their general age, this is their, their general location, um, we're going to put this content piece out here. And because of advertising and how um, super targeted it can be, you can literally just drop one piece of content in that space, see what happens. Something a bit sideways to that in a different location to a different um 
demographic, I'm gonna use a big word, but just a different type of person in a profile of person in, in the space. And you see what comes back, boom, they're gonna respond and they're gonna tell you exactly what it is. And from there you can develop and continue to develop from there, right? You can. I'm of a different school of thought. I'm from the, uh, I am from an opposite school of thought to you. Whereas you're on about like testing the waters everywhere. I, I am more focus your energy on where it works in order to do that, find out, actually do the research. But this should both yield results. Yeah, like, look, of course, I'm, I'm definitely agreeing. Yeah. The more research... No, 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 I'm just saying, like, it's interesting that you've got that approach and then I've got this approach. But ultimately, it should begin to yield results from both sides. But again, it is all about testing, tweaking testing tweaking That's before the launch then you do the actual launch so as we both said marketing is a process and within that process you've got many 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 different processes but mm. again we both agree it ultimately falls down to who your customer is and what content they consume so i mean preparation Preparation is something that you, you, you talk a lot about. Um, I know you got, you got a, a whole course, actually, that's online, completely free um, on YouTube, where people can really learn and get a dive a bit deeper into understanding who their customer is. Do you have an example of what it is like or, or, or companies maybe that you've seen and noticed people that don't really know what their customer wants and are just sort of communicating to them versus people that do and, you know, they're getting a much better result. I can think of hundreds. Um, a lot of the companies that I come across have got a valid product. They've got a valid idea. Uh, they're not sure on marketing. So what they've done is they've Googled how to market my product. And as soon as you Google something like that, bam, you get loads of information thrown at you. And then because you've done that, um, those targeted ads that you were talking about, especially on social media, start generating marketing-related content. They start generating the market gurus who are like, you need to have Instagram. You need to have this sales funnel. You need to have uh, this information. I'm a broke guru. Do it this way. You're going to be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. um, which is all fine and good, but those strategies may not work depending on who you're trying to target. Yeah. So... Yeah. This is where I, what I was saying as a counter to the way that you would do something is I would really, really get to know who I'm selling to. I would come at it from a psychological, almost clinical perspective. I would want to know what their day-to-day -day looks like. I would want to know what their interests and hobbies are. I would want to know what their opinions are on a variety of different things where their political beliefs are. I would want to know um, 
write down you you can get really in depth and you can get like what their weekly meals look like you know the types of restaurants that they go to that sort of thing um which may not have anything directly related to your product but if you understand who you're targeting on that depth then it's easier for your business to show up in front of them it's easier for you to show them your product 100%. 100%. And then they're more likely to respond to it. There is also the idea of attracting people using your values because you'll attract people with similar values to you. But again, that 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 should happen naturally because you'll have that understanding of who you're targeting. Yeah. Um, I think these, if you, if you and, and honestly, like going back to, to my idea, you're still not going to get the right, you're not going to get the right um, results or you'll be end up spending money, wasting your money if you're not clear about who you're speaking to. But again, like what you said though, it is a good way for you to test the different platforms that that age bracket may use. 100%. Yeah, so it's it's not about the fact that you know for a fact that they're using it. But because they're in, within that age bracket, they're going to use Facebook and Instagram over Twitter or LinkedIn, for example. Um, sure. Sure. So, I, I mean, and, and this is, the, we, we come up with these, a lot of these theoreticals, um, which you only really know when it's out there. But when you do a bit more research, the, the, your, your targeting just becomes so much better. I mean, even your copy becomes so much better. Um, I was literally just thinking about it when you were talking. It's like, well, you know, I, I, when I have an idea of someone's beliefs and I may be talking and I'm, I'm writing out content and then, and then, um, and, and then maybe make a, a joke about uh, like John Major or something, you know? Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm talking to a specific type of person. They're gonna find that funny. You know, yeah, they're gonna if, they're gonna or, engage with that, or or it will have the opposite, but it's intended. So so the the idea is really about uh, when you have that amount of detail and you know who you're speaking to, you can talk to that person, you can poke fun at them, you can you can have a really interesting conversation that fits in their world. And that changes the whole outcome of the conversation. Yeah. And it's all about building that relationship. Now, you don't have to physically meet somebody to build a relationship. And it's everything that you've just said. Um, But I want to go back to the question that I was actually answering when we went off on this tangent just really quickly. Yeah, sure. Which was? Which was what? (laughs) The biggest issue I see with a lot of people, especially if they're new to business, is there's too much information, they're having information overload. Um, And when that happens, I think go back to basics, understand that marketing is a process, it is a science, remove that guesswork. Because I mean, you wouldn't expect the people that have developed the COVID vaccines to just guess and be like, I'll put this in, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know that they, yeah. they'll develop it 
intentionally and that's what you need to do with your marketing um whereas somebody who does understand marketing and somebody who has really got that um that well-defined customer avatar they are more likely to be successful um and that's the difference between somebody who does understand marketing and somebody who doesn't. And just because you don't understand marketing doesn't mean you have to go out and get a degree in marketing. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, literally business owners that are maybe listening to this, um, you know, one man bands or anybody who's kind of listening to this at the moment in time, you don't really need to understand all the nitty gritty. But when you understand the core of it, what should be, which direction we should be going in, when you're hiring people, you're communicating with others that can help you, you, and they're not saying these things, there should be alarm bells going off. Um, and, 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 I, and I think that, so we're going to have to end this soon, just because, I mean, I love, I, I've loved um, talking to you, Stephen. And, and, and I, I want to just, sort of leave this with the, the, the thing that, I mean, you, you got some really in-depth videos around marketing, um, setting up that, that we're gonna use a word that people may know or may not know, an avatar profile, uh, uh, an idea of your, of your customer and sort of detailing that. And you, re you release them every Monday, right? I do. Um, so we, we've gone through uh, geographic segmentation, demographic segmentation, psychographic segmentation, and the next one will be behavioral segmentation. It was supposed to come out this week, but I've had a busy week and I haven't edited the video yet. Be behavioral, <laughs> look, uh, you take your time with that and you get it because everything else that you've already released, I've been through some of it and, and it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in and, and actually practice because it's one thing for me to consume. It's one thing for me to, another thing for me to consume and do. And, and that takes time anyways. But when someone, um, and especially where digital is leading us, where the future of um, technology and messaging communication is leading us is, to the space of being aware of where my customer is, what they want, what they want, and that changes from moment to moment. Literally, I had this need here. I've walked down the street, and now all of a sudden, my needs have changed. If I'm communicating them that message when they were further down the street, they're not going to be as interested as when they were further down the road. So, watching their behavior and communicating with them in the right space is so important and that's going to change the way where you put your information so definitely guys you want to check out the stuff um I, i'm really like i love what you're doing steven and we're definitely like we said i'm, I'm going to take that and really put it on, on on our website link to it um and and really like drive it from our side of, of from our perspective of where we see it and then obviously taking it to the teacher for them to teach them the, the real stuff, you know, but absolutely loved it. And I've absolutely loved this conversation. Um, we can talk about marketing for hours. Uh, I've absolutely loved it, man. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. Honestly, thank you.
Oh, awesome, man. So I, I will def- we will definitely have this again. And we like we're talking about doing some other stuff around this. So looking forward to connecting again soon, man. And definitely we'll drop your links in and around this video. And uh, we will connect again. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you.